Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Welcome to All the Wiser. I'm Kimmy Culp. All the Wiser is a one-for-one podcast. For every inspiring interview you hear, we donate $2,000 to charities around the world. I believe in the power of storytelling to inspire us all to think differently about the world around us. So I have combed the country for some of the most jaw-dropping stories you have ever heard. People who have been to the brink and back, stories of survival against all odds, and whose lives have been changed in unthinkable ways. Today's interview is with Gerardo Lopez. At the age of 14, Gerardo was jumped in to MS-13, a notorious international crime organization with deep roots in his L.A. neighborhood. He would spend the next seven years on a dark path, living the life of a gang member on the streets of Los Angeles and within the walls of juvenile detention facilities. He turned his life around and started working with teenagers to prevent them from joining gangs, but it would be years before he would no longer be a prisoner of his own past. I saw Gerardo's TED Talk and knew that I wanted to have him as a guest on All the Wiser. Today, Gerardo has gone on to receive a degree in criminal justice, work as a counselor in youth detention facilities, and is the executive director of a successful gang intervention program in Denver, Colorado. He was even appointed by the mayor to help hire the city's next police chief. On that note, you know we love finding stories of personal transformation and sharing them with you. If you have any story ideas or guest ideas for us, we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email or a voice memo at hello at allthewiserpodcast.com. We hope you'll chime in and let us know what you're thinking. Here's today's interview with Gerardo Lopez. Welcome to All the Wiser, Gerardo. It is such a pleasure to have you here, and I'm excited to have this conversation. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure as well. How would you introduce yourself or explain yourself? I would say I'm a gang interventionist that works in the community to help prevent kids from getting into gangs and also intervene to help those that uh, want to get out of gangs as well. And I know your childhood, like all of us, really shaped your experience and life story. Can you tell me about your childhood and sort of paint the backdrop of that? Sure. Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, California, in a place called Koreatown. And I never met my father growing up. And my mom worked 14-hour days at a sweatshop. And she got paid about... um a penny to like five cents that for every button that she sold on a dress. And during that time in Koreatown, there was a lot of uh, gang violence. There was a lot of violence overall. So, I mean, I didn't know about that growing up. You know, I could say that I, you know, had the best mom growing up. 
she really provided me with a lot of stuff that that I wanted. Number one was love and unconditional love. But it was just that when she went to work, a lot of times being out in the streets, a lot of times the, the streets consumed me with the aura of the type of stuff that was going on there, such as um, gang banging. But even to take it before that, I grew up going to school, um, pretty much a good kid going to school to like the sixth grade or or so. And I used to like playing baseball with my friends at times. Sometimes we used to play softball after school. I used to like watching Saved by the Bell. That was one of my favorite TV shows. It was such a good one. Yeah. Screech. <laughs> Go Screech. How would you describe your neighborhood? What did you see as you walked around in it? What would you see as you walked around and observed the world around you in your neighborhood? Um, I remember the sounds of ice cream trucks always passing by. There was a lot of ice cream trucks. And every time when the ice cream truck would pass out, kids would run outside and, you know, ask their mom for 50 cents or a dollar. And, and when you grew up around, um, and there was also, you know, late at night when you're going to sleep, you hear the helicopter. We called it the the ghetto bird. It was the police helicopter shining the light, out looking for whoever they were looking for. And, you know, cars screeching, um, you know, and gunshots after that, you know, drive-bys happening. And we lived in an apartment building, so you could really hear people in the next apartments and you know there was a lot of screaming sometimes or you know domestic violence you see all that stuff and it becomes normal because that's what you're around i guess so that's the stuff that you were raised in so yeah and it's so interesting that you compare those two visuals of the ice cream trucks and the kids playing softball and then the helicopter circling and the yelling of abuse and guns. So clearly two very different realities that you were straddling. Right. So today we are going to talk about your life as a gang member mm -hmm. and then um, your life after. Specifically, you were a part of a gang called MS-13 You when, when you were in it in Los Angeles. Can you briefly explain how that gang came to be to our listeners? Sure. Well, some people may recall that there was a civil war in El Salvador. So during this civil war, there was hundreds of thousands of deaths. And there will be times where military soldiers will kick in front doors in the middle of the night and kids will be hiding and shaking. And a lot of them will be forced to go ahead and join the war. When kids would go to school, you know, there would be decapitated bodies, you know, on the way to school or, you know, just around some people being family members, some of their best friends or some people that they didn't know. So a lot of the families, they made that choice to go ahead uh, for a chance of a better life. They migrated to Los Angeles. A lot of these families came and there was a big majority of the families that came to um, work, um, multiple jobs. Some of them were even uh, doctors in El Salvador or, you know, they had these high end jobs. And over here, a lot of times their degrees didn't mean anything. So they had to go ahead and uh, work at fast food restaurants or be maids or 
janitors and and when the Salvadoran kids took to the schools, they were bullied by other kids because of their different accents. So it was like a culture clash. But anyways, these kids went to school and they started forming a group of their own. This is the times where the movie Colors came out. American Me, Blood In, Blood Out, Boulevard Nights, you know, these Cholo movies where the outfit of a Cholo was a shaved head, tattoos, dicky pants, um, Nike Cortez shoes, flannels and glasses. So these guys started um, copying this type of style and they just they dropped the S and just became MS. And that's how MS came about. And how old were you when you decided to join MS-13? I was 14 years old. And what do you think you were searching for? Or what was maybe missing in your life that drew you to the gang life? I think that not having a a father there all the time, that, that probably had something to to do with it you know somebody that could have probably kept me in check and you know and i don't know in some type of way and my mom you know having to work you know 14 hour days that gave me more time in the in the streets and when i was i started getting taller you know i'm six foot four at the age of um 14 or whatever I, i was pretty tall so a lot of the ms members started taking um notice to me you know so i would get bullied sometimes um i remember my mom bought me a michigan jacket that had like a a big m in the back right and you know one of the ms-13 gang members wanted it so he robbed me at gunpoint it was always this fear of not being able to go to the mcdonald's in my neighborhood that was you know four or five six blocks away i would have to jump fences to leave my neighborhood and travel to another mcdonald's with my friends that was you know a couple of miles away just to get away from the gangs and even just to go to school it was the the same thing you know instead of going to a from point a to point b to school it was all these different routes that you know i took to avoid the ms gang members i remember there was this carnival that came to our neighborhood like twice a year you know i had the hammer the the swinger the all these all these fun rides that i always went through as a kid growing up and i used to live right in front of the park and looking out the window i couldn't go to that carnival anymore because it was there was a lot of ms members right there and i was like man wouldn't it be cool to go to that carnival again or just to walk around the neighborhood and everything like that and and i used to be looking out my window and i used to also see like these ms members that you know had respect power and pride um, hanging out late at night and i was uh, like and i want what they have i want that freedom to stand right there in the corner and nobody's gonna go ahead and and bother them so i ended up getting um jumped in into the the gang and when i was i was getting jumped in the number one things that i was thinking about um i had already counted down of when the carnival was coming into town where i could walk around that carnival and say that i'm from ms 13 right what does that mean to be jumped into a gang and was there any was there any initiation rituals or things you had to participate in early on tattoos crimes what what does that first piece look like to make it official 
Well, you get jumped in for 13 seconds, and it's not your regular 13 seconds that go on the, you look at a clock. It's like one, somebody's counting, a couple of people are jumping you in, sometimes three to four, and somebody's counting, it goes, they're supposed to count to 13, it's one, and then about five or six seconds pass by two, um, then more seconds pass by three. So it's actually not 13 seconds. It continues to um, climb. And I remember our rituals consisted of um, the OG of Eterano from the from the neighborhood. His name was, um, was Muerto. He had this pickup lowrider um, truck. And he got me and three of my friends and he put us in the back. He was like, all right, now you're going to go ahead and go cruise around the neighborhood and meet um, meet the homies. Or we're going to go ahead and show you the territory and everything like that. Right. And I was all like, OK. And I remember seeing people that used to uh, bully us. And my my first thing was now I could fight this guy without any retaliation. You know, I saw some guy wearing my um, jacket, you know, now I could take my jacket back. And you very quickly question and regret your decision to some extent. Why was why was that? So um, we joined MS and then it was spread like wildfire where these people that we told that we weren't from a gang. Now they're like, oh, so now they joined MS and everything like that where they're not they better not pass through here again. And as the week passed by, uh, we started getting all these threats or, you know, we had our friends still that weren't from the gang they they will still hang out with certain other gang members or live in those neighborhoods and they will hear stories and they relate to those stories yeah man they they got a green light on you guys i mean a green light meaning that you know they want to go ahead and take your life they want to go ahead and kill you right so during that time we we're all like man we thought we we're gonna get that respect power and pride within the gang now we're starting to feel even more fear we're starting to feel even more paranoia because now we just don't have ms-13 after us now you have all the surrounding gangs after us so you're now a member of one of the most notorious gangs and find yourself arrested mm-hmm. and i guess in juvie mm-hmm. what are some of the crimes that you're witnessing within the gang and what are some of the crimes that put you in juvie and in jail the crimes that i committed as a juvenile were uh, robberies there was um assaults you know between gang rival uh rival gangs of us fighting against each other the cops would pass by and we would go ahead and get arrested if you will as a youth when i was 16 17 years old i could remember seeing people standing on 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 street corners selling um crack cocaine yeah and that was the stuff that pretty much got me locked up and did you have especially with the assaults or the robberies it sounds like um, you had a mom who loved you very much mm-hmm. and, and you loved your mom and your brothers. As those were happening, do you become just completely disconnected because of the environment and the gang? Or do you feel emotion and remorse around around it when people are hurt? Well, you know, I did feel that em- emotion, that remorse, especially the pain and suffering that was causing my family. Um, I remember there were, there was times where there was gunshots in my neighborhood and my mom will always come running out with her sandals and her nightgown to see if i had got shot because we will hang around like a couple blocks away from where 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 i lived 
And or even when she would come after work for 14 hour days, she would come look for me and I would just go ahead and hide. And, you know, my homies would go ahead and say, no, we haven't um, we haven't seen him or nothing like that. You know, and that was like in the back somewhere hiding. I was either drunk or I was high. So I want to talk about what the realities are of being in juvie and a gang in that mm-hmm. culture. But you just spoke on your identity and something that I thought was really interesting that I had not heard before is about changing your name when you joined the gang and you changed your name to Kleber. Why did you choose that name and what did that mean to you? Well, you know, in a gang, there's there's different options. Um, People are able to, you know, give you a nickname or you're able to go ahead and choose your own nickname. And I remember when I was going to get jumped in a couple nights before I started really thinking about what my nickname was going to go ahead and be. What was my title? And a lot of people within the gang, you had these names like Smokey, Flacco, Boxer, you know, it, it was common names and I wanted something different. And I just kept thinking and thinking. And for some reason, just clever, just popped into my, my mind, you know, and nobody else had clever either it, it was something um something unique and i figured that when if i pick something unique whatever work i put in um when i'm locked up because when you're locked up and you get in fights back then the word spread to the street you know so i didn't want me being confused or somebody else that had the same name taking my credit for the fight so you know, it, it was pretty much, uh, so that's why I chose Clever, and I would get locked up a lot as a juvenile. I would be locked up, and I remember the staffs or even uh, other gang members would ask me, damn, homie, why'd you pick Clever? You're always getting caught. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a witty response to what name you should have picked if you were always getting caught, but it's not coming to me. <laughs> I'll text. I'll text you something. <laughs> I could think of a few of them. They're just bad words. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about being in jail, what is that experience like as a kid? Is it, or is it completely heightened because you're in a gang? I imagine you there could be violence at any turn. What is that like as as a teenage boy to be imprisoned? Well, you know, when I was from MS thirteen, and you got in, and you walked down the street, it was like. You know, it was like the sitcom Cheers, you know, like that, like that opening song. I felt that stuff, you know, like though sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. I feel like a red carpet, people staring at me, um, people wanting to shake your hands, people wanting to um, be friends with you. Right. And these were people that weren't from the the gang or, you know, even members that were if you had a level of respect they wanted to meet your status but when you got locked up it was a whole different thing because you know everybody there was from a gang everybody there was looking for that for that cheer song if you will everybody was willing to go ahead and get that respect power and pride in there and when i got locked up like i said ms had a whole lot of um rivals now it just wasn't going against one gang now it's going against a whole lot of them so i just started I started fighting with people and, you know, a couple of times, um, like they will send you to a hole for like seven days. It was called the, it was called the box. It was pretty much a eight by 10, uh, jail cell. 
with your toilet and sink in there and you can't go out of there for like a week every time you fought, you know, sometimes a couple of weeks. So I started like, you know, getting stronger and getting stronger. And I would just go and start fighting with different people. And I remember even fighting with people that we were good friends with that we joined rival gangs, but it was just that we had to go ahead and fight with, with each other. And then it just became an everyday thing of, you know, you're, when you're, wake up in the morning you're like okay you know you you're going to go get your food at the chow hall the chow hall to get your lunch and you're walking down like you start looking who's looking at me who's disrespecting me or it just becomes th- it, this addiction lifestyle starts into your mentality and you start living and breathing that stuff it's just a, a cycle that you keep replaying over and over and over in your head so it was it was a bunch of kids walking around like ticking time bombs and it only took that different color of the gang or the different color of the the name of the gang to go ahead and set all those bombs off but talking to having cellmates in there that were these hardened guys from ms out in the street and then for them to um you know late at night start telling me about their families you know um how their dad got killed in the war or their mom or their uncle or the stuff that they saw walking to school of decapitated heads and all that stuff or how they feel so so displaced right and during these conversations you know there's an angle where you know you don't want to say too much because you know you don't want to show weakness to one another but I remember seeing a whole lot of them cry, you know, when 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 they were saying these um, these stories. And as soon as it was boom, it, it was in the morning, time to get up, time to go to chow. Everybody has their gangster mask back on. And now it's all like, what's up? Let's go ahead and fight. Right. And even having sometimes, well, a lot of a lot of times cellmates from people from different gangs that we got along with, you know, or just different you know, gangs and you start talking to these people and their stories are not like the ones from El Salvador, right? But their stories consisted of um sometimes similar to my stories where they have a lo- they had a loving home. Their parents worked two or three jobs. Some of them didn't have a loving home. Some of them their parents were addicted to drugs. Some of them they, the the violence was just there in the neighborhood. A lot of after school programs left i was amazed when we used to play baseball out in these uh fields when they used to let uh, in these juvenile camps all the gangsters were the best players i mean they came from i remember baseball was big back then but then a lot of times these parks ran out of funding or you know people um quit playing baseball whatever sport they played and went to gang banging How long were you in the gang and at what point do you decide you want to leave? So I was into I was in the gang when I was 14 and I got out in my early 20s. Eight, so it was about 8 years. And what was your tipping point? When did you decide that you wanted to walk away? I were going to funerals and seeing moms crying and me sitting next to my homie and watching the casket of my homeboy that was right there and a mom um hugging the casket like wanting to wake her son up right and when he was getting buried she tried to 
get jump in that hole right there as well to get buried with him. Right. And I was all like, man, that's I was like, man, homie. And I'm talking to my homie who's like, man, that's 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 messed up, right? And I hope that's not me next time, right? And he's like, Yeah. And then like a month later, two months later, the guy that I was talking to next to me, he was the person getting buried now, right? And I didn't I didn't want to put my mom through all that um all that all that pain either, you know, and also the bad stuff that I was inflicting on on people as a, a juvenile for the crimes that I did, right? Like the assaults and everything like that and getting locked up. And one day I was uh, like 20 years old and um, I was standing right in the street corner and there was this guy that he was a former MS-13 gang member. He was like getting down. He started this organization, um, homies unidos and he was telling me about the organization and i was like i don't know if i want to go to that high respect power and pride within the gang and you know i didn't know what i would be without it and he's talking to me and then i remember like looking at my window and when how i used to look out outside the window look at the guy in the street corner i looked at the window and i saw my younger brother staring at me and then i saw the way i was um, I had pretty much became that guy that I used to stare at and wanted to be like, and my little brother started to take the liking in that and wanted to be like me. So, you know, th- that was a tipping point, um, of, okay, what, what, how can I go ahead and, um, and change? And they took me to this homie Sunido's meeting and it was just hearing the stories of other rival gang members also. And, their moms cried the same tears as my mom and all of our stories was pretty much identical. The stuff that we went through, it was just a different gang, the different name that separated us. And so, you know, we just started little by little, we just started changing that. They gave me a safe haven to go ahead and express myself and to take that gangster mask off. And they would just take us traveling. It just didn't stop. They took us traveling to different places to share our stories and more people listened. And every time when I talked, I felt that sense of respect, power, and pride. It was people I never even imagined, like what we even care hearing my, 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 um, my story. There was a guy, um, Senator, the late Senator Tom Hayden. One of the biggest moments I remember is when Tom Hayden took me he was like hey clever come on i'm gonna take you i gotta go speak somewhere and and uh we stopped at his house um we stopped at his house to get some stuff and when as he's walking up a a trail everybody's like oh the great tom hayden hey people i didn't know who who tom hayden was he was just like a a white guy that wanted to help us out pretty much and and lived in uh brentwood and tom hayden took me to this thing where he was speaking it was like you know, a few thousand people there, three or 4,000 people. And he was like the main speaker. And I was like, man, look at this guy. And then as in the middle of the speech, um, he stops and he's like, oh, by the way, um, I want to introduce everybody to my friend, Clever. And he's all like, Clever, stand up. And I was like, oh, man, okay. So I stand up and he's all like, he's in the process of getting out of gangs. And at the same time, he's um, helping others get out of gangs as, um, as well. And then people started applauding, right? He, he, I felt that spotlight. And Tom knew that if I was leaving the gang, if they were going to take, that part of my life 
um, from you. I, you know, I was willing to let go of that part of the life. You have to go ahead and replace it with something else. It felt almost as if he knew that that's what I got from 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 the gang or from friends when they saw me walking down the street, right? And then also when I started helping other kids get out of gangs, you know, I, I felt that respect, power, and pride from within when their parents started thanking me as well. That's so amazing. I love all of that. Yeah. So just a real quick question. I imagine leaving a gang is nothing like leaving a job. You're not going in and saying, hi, I'm resigning. <laughs> I'm giving two weeks. Right. What is the process of leaving a gang? And um, what were the threats, if any, against you? Well, you know, with me, um, the process of leaving a gang was during the LAPD uh, scandal. So a lot of people started seeing that I was fighting against police brutality and then helping people get out of get jobs and even coming out on TV, you know, saying that I wasn't a gang member anymore or that I was rehabilitating and helping others. They pretty much got the picture, if you will, to say, you know what, Claire is not about that life anymore. He's doing something different. And, you know, you start fading away and if they're going to be hanging out over here where I'm going to be over there. And um, if they say, let's go here, let's go there. Well, I'm going to become I'm going to make this elaborate story of why I can't go ahead and and um, and attend. Well, you change your number. Or you just kind of move along and somebody else pretty much replaces you or takes your place. You decide to move to Denver mm -hmm. and eventually begin studying criminal justice. Right. Can you tell me why the move and that transition to um, your studies in criminal justice? So it, it was the Rampart crash scandal where where there was over 100 cases that got overturned for false police testimony and corruption. It was pretty much a department that was acting like a gang, but with the law on their side. And during that time with Homies O'Neill's, I was exposing, well, we were, ex we were exposing um, the corruption levels. And also us, when we were going to Homies O'Neill's and we weren't from MS-13 no more, the officers that knew us back then, when we were from MS, I guess they they continued to harass us. Um, they would beat us up on the way to uh, these group meetings. I came out in Time Magazine, Newsweek. I remember walking down the street with Geraldo Rivera, you know, talking about, you know, all the corruption that, that happens within the neighborhood um, because of the, you know, that put the police were causing. And the police told me, you know what, Clara, this media attention is going to die. They saw me in the, in, a, in walking to group one. Then they told me this media attention is going to die eventually. We're going to come after you. And the media attention died and there will be uh, police cars parked outside my my apartment waiting for me. I had a, a friend that moved to Colorado. I remember when I was a kid seeing uh, Charlie Brown's White Christmas and with the snow and everything. I'm like, man, how would it cool would it be in the snow? And we made the move to Colorado for a chance of a of a better life. And in here a few months, I said, okay, what 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 am I gonna go ahead and do? I want to get back into gang intervention, or I want to get back into um, helping kids out of gangs. And there was some places where I try to apply. You know, they're like, you need like a college degree, and I'm like, okay, so I'll go ahead and go to school. And that's when I went to go get my criminal justice degree. The police realities of your life in LA that you have left, mm -hmm. and that scandal follows you to Denver. That's right. Um, as you say, your your 
past keeps resurfacing. Explain what happens in Denver. I started working in mental health institutions to, you know, counsel kids and halfway houses to get kids out of gangs as well, help them out. And in 2009, I was uh, stopped by the by an officer, you know, he stopped me and he was like, you got a federal warrant. And I was like, what is a federal warrant? And I was like, this can't be me. I was like, whatever. Next thing you know, I see all kinds of cars and FBI agents surrounding me and they took me in. Then, um, yeah, I woke up the next day all over. I didn't sleep the next day. I just waited for the news and I was all over the news saying that I moved to Colorado to start MS-13 activities. And, I started to find out, you know, when I got my uh, paperwork of who the lead investigator was. And I was reading, it was a officer that he was a former LAPD officer and he, and he took a lateral transfer over here to, to Colorado, like a month or two months after I moved over here. So during this time, they were, um, you know, he, he was conspiring to go ahead and try to plant some type of a, drug dealing case on me and you know as time in 2009 came upon they didn't have nothing because i wasn't doing nothing and he set me up with a drug conspiracy case so what he would do um there's this restaurant out here it's it's a vietnamese restaurant called fall and uh, this particular phone call you know i was talking to one of my friends my phone was wiretap and i told him hey let's go to fall and he's uh, he told me let's go to fall and i was uh, like no i don't want to go to that fall because you know the waiter's always messing up my order let's go to this other fall over here um closer to my house and he was like okay fine now you would think we're just you know just don't like the 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 waiter he messes up order but he will go ahead and manipulate these phone calls saying that um the waiter was the drug dealer and uh, I didn't like the quality of the f- uh, of the food, meaning that the food was the cocaine. So it was these phone calls that kept the investigation um, going and going. There was other times where I would go ahead and tell my friend, hey, let's have a barbecue. Like, let's have like 10 pounds of carne asada, right, to barbecue. So he would interpret those calls and say that the carne asada was um, 10 pounds of um, of kilos. And so this this... these elaborate things went on and on and and you know he used all my past also you know all my past like crimes that i did as a juvenile you know he used them in the grand jury he didn't um say that it was crimes that happened 15 or 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 so years ago he made it seem like they happened you know like last year or it's pretty much true when they say that the grand jury couldn't indict a, a ham sandwich when i was locked up i thought that my attorney was gonna go ahead and dismissed this case you know and as soon as my attorney came he was like all right you know the least i could get you is probably 10 years or like 10 years for what and then he's like just go and you know play ball with them or just you know i could get you 10 years i started seeing that um when you get indicted a lot of lawyers receive about a hundred thousand pages of discovery meaning you know the paperwork they have on you investigating you nine you know thousands of wiretap calls and a lot of federal attorneys they don't want to climb up that um that hill or that mountain to start looking through all this stuff it's better they just get you to go ahead and plead guilty um and get the 10 years in my case if i would have lost it was 48 years and i kept telling my attorney you know you know what i want to go ahead and take this case to trial they they have nothing on me so i started 
studying my case and that's when I started representing myself in court. I started filing my own court motions about the case. And how does how does your case ultimately end? What what is the 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 end of your case? The way it was, I went through the I started representing myself and started filing my own motions and one day a jailer opened up my cell door and told me that they saw in the news that my case had got dismissed and that all the charges had been dropped and and I was all like, Wow. I was waiting for them to tell me that for 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 two years. I was locked up for two years and they I remember leaving my, my jail cell and and everybody was clapping, you know, all the other inmates. You know, because you know the feds have a ninety nine point conviction rate, and representing yourself is is somewhat unheard of. And this was the thing that that after the forty eight years, I was out for the forty eight month sentence because all I was breaking apart the whole case. So they came at me forty eight months, and I had already been locked up for like two years, and I would have done six more months and gone to a halfway house, or I risk going to trial. And lose the six months and end up getting 48 years, right? So because of of how felt, how I wanted righteousness, I didn't accept that. So like, you know, I I get out and I remember the the, the rain. It was something like a movie. The rain was falling on my, I don't know, I just looked up and the rain was just, uh, it was good to feel the rain. And my friends took me to, my friend and his wife took me to go eat. You know, and he was like, you're going to go over here and stay. I have a basement in my house and you could stay there, you know. And I was uh, like, all right, you know, and, you know, I couldn't sleep that night. And it, it was, I don't know, it was just a, a different feeling than the, I don't know. It was a lot better feeling than the jail cell, but I was, I guess I was used to the jail cell. But I don't know what it was, but then um, some some friends call me and, you know, the, what they call him. You're like, hey, here, man, they... People want to, they're happy to see you. They want to throw a barbecue. And, hey, they were like, we're going to bring some carne asada. How many pounds should we get? <laughs> I'm not talking to nobody on the phone here. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your life today. Where are you in your life today? Well, um, I got out and I did gang intervention and prevention with the with an organization i'm getting kids out of gangs you know helping again i'm talking to the kids in schools and i got into a real good relationship with like principals and these a lot of school administration i have some i have some civic duties also where i was i'm a mayor appointed commissioner for the city of of um of denver um build the bridge between the government nonprofit, and private sectors and I was also mayor appointed to the police chief search committee where I interviewed uh, several candidates for that position, officers that had been in, um, that had already been officer toward 20 or 30 years. You know, I'm just happy with the work that I'm doing. And I was also, you know, pretty surprised when I was asked to do a TEDx talk as, as well. That one was pretty cool also. And I love your TED Talk. Oh, thank you. (laughs) What do you hope people take away from your story? And in particular, um, a boy or a girl living in a neighborhood like you grew up, um, what do you hope they take away from your story? And for the kids that are looking, you know, for that extended hand or helping hand, it, it, it's around, it's around you, you know, it's around them. You know, sometimes we're, we're just, we just have these blind um, 
things on thinking that nobody cares or or nobody um you know loves you or something like that but there's always somebody cares and there's always somebody there to love you um a lot of times we have to go ahead and love ourselves first in order to love somebody else but just knowing that that they're sacred you know a lot of times i people ask me how do you talk to a, a kid a, from a gang and I tell them you talk to that person like you talk to any other persons when they were asking kindergarten they wouldn't want to be when you grew up you know they didn't say they didn't want to be part of a gang they want to be doctors lawyers cops um or, or whatever it was but somewhere along the way those dreams became nightmares and now they put this gangster mask on and go by this certain nickname that they feel they have to live up to it's about you know showing compassion and love so they could be able to take that mask off and go back to being their ordinary selves again Awesome. I, I love that answer. So we're going to end with something we call rapid fire. Okay. So I'm just going to tee up the beginning of a sentence or a question and just whatever comes to mind, um, you you say. Three adjectives that described you as a teenager. Three adjectives. Respect, power, and pride. <laughs> Seeking respect, power, and Seeking pride. Seeking respect, power, and pride. Yeah. <laughs> Greatest pet peeve. When the Dodgers go to the World Series and lose. Good answer. Best Halloween costume you have ever worn. I was a cat in kindergarten. I love that visual. <laughs> Number one bucket list item. To travel outside the country. I've never been outside of the country. Favorite quote. Believe and you shall achieve. Good one. Where you hope to be 10 years from now? Doing the same type of work, gang intervention. Awesome. You're amazing. Thank you so much for an amazing conversation, incredible conversation. And if you start the Saved by the Bell gang, I am totally becoming a member. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got it. Maybe we could start it together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Try that. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Today's interview supports Homies Unidos Denver. Their staff is comprised primarily of Latino youth who have renounced the violence in their lives. Instead, dedicating their time to creating alternatives to crimes, drugs, and violence in their neighborhoods. As Gerardo says, they are living proof that prevention works and that peace is possible. To learn more about their work in gang prevention and intervention and the promotion of human rights in immigrant communities, you can check them out at www.homiesunidosdenver.org. And don't forget to send us an email or drop us a voice memo at hello at allthewiserpodcast.com. We'd love to hear any story ideas you may have or any thoughts or feedback you have on the show. Thanks for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.